welcome to the Sin of Our Fathers podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Kuhn, joined as always by my older brother, Michael. Hey, guys. And we are down a brother again this week. I don't remember if we were down a brother last time. Um, typical host, Mark, taking the week off. Um, he's got other stuff going on. But it's important that we record a pod because we are on the cusp of the 2020 NFL season, something that I didn't think was necessarily going to happen, didn't think it was necessarily going to start on time. It, it kind of came just, and went. There was so much uncertainty, and now we're here, and it feels insane because there's been no football, and yeah. now we're just going to have football. I'm just I'm very disoriented. I'm used to having the, like non-satisfying preseason games to watch but like it's a good precursor leading up it's like that it wets your appetite it's like that tiny little taste of something yeah yeah, that gets you ready for week one which is the full course and we're just diving straight into the whole thing and we got ready to record and i was like holy crap we got to predict the games we got to go through our normal thing and like pick the lines like we always do like i wasn't even like ready for this yeah, what, on what foundation are we making these picks on? Because there's very little to go on, which has just added... I mean, this 2020 has obviously been bizarre from a sporting perspective. It's been extremely bizarre. Um, and it's going to continue to be extremely bizarre. Um, depending on how the college football season plays out, and then you even get to the 2021 NFL draft. And I mean, you're going to have prospects going to the top of the draft who didn't even play college football the year before. So this has been a very bizarre experience, as we all know. Browns, no preseason games. On Saturday, we cut down to 53, the 53-man roster from, I think we were at 75 coming yep. into the day. In that we had had 80 in the camp. Um, what stuck out to you from our cut down to 53? Any, any surprises to make the team? Any people you were surprised to see go? I think the one player I'm most surprised is not around in any fashion at the moment, and this could change, I think, because I don't know that he's signed anywhere else, is Donovan Alumba, um, the cornerback, who got a lot of time because we had all these late injuries during practice the last couple weeks. And Alumba has some size. He's got like He's one of these guys that his like arms seem to hang down to his knees. Like... He's got like this awesome length. Like you could see him playing in a Seattle style of defense somewhere. But he seemed to hold his own from everything I saw and I seemed like a promising young player that um they had brought in, you know, that they had brought in um from, you know, I think Dallas was where he was previously and um just expected him to at least get a practice squad spot. So I yeah, that seems was a like little a, surprising. Seemed to me. like a pretty safe practice squad guy. I think if I was betting, I thought he was going to make the active roster ahead and that they might do some creative things. Now, there's a lot of guys kind of in that back half of that cornerback room that you feel okay about, like A.J. Green, and they did end up signing him to the practice squad. You know, we've got some injuries with Greedy Williams being on the shelf, you know, and um, what does – is it Kevin Johnson? Kevin, yeah. I always, like, doubt that that's his name. It's such, like, a normal, boring – average name i'm worried i'm gonna put like a very like normal name and like supplement it in there every time so and he's also not the first kevin johnson to play for the browns correct and so you it's confusing doubt yourself and with that uh but kevin johnson is like lacerated liver and like all the stuff the timelines are so unknown and mj stewart his backup in the slot is dealing with a hamstring injury right those are those are three guys who are unknown going into 
going into week one. And Alumba and we, seemed to show up pretty well in camp. So I think I just thought that he would get – he kind of lucked himself into a spot, and here he is – you know, with without a job at the moment. So we'll see. That might be a guy that if we get another injury or somebody goes out for a longer period of time that he's, like, quickly back and um, playing a role on this team. But there weren't anything – there wasn't anything that crazy. Like, I actually saw somebody talking about how this is the first time in many years that a, an undrafted player did not make the initial 53. Hmm. It's true. That, I, either that either that says tells you one of two things. Either that tells you that we have a very stubborn front office that's sticking by their draft picks and doesn't want to think outside the box, or we've got a talented roster that doesn't have room for an un, undrafted players. I, in many I, cases. I think it can be one of those, and then also without any preseason games, without the reps, without the opportunity. Yep. There, there's just so few opportunities for for those types of players. To, to show enough on the point. field yeah. to actually get one of those 53 roster spots. And on the flip side of that, because you have no tape that other teams can see, if you cut one of your guys that you like, that you would like to get to the practice squad, they're a much safer bet to make it through waivers and get to the practice squad because nobody nobody's got tape of everyone else's practices yeah, where they, they're like have they, anything to judge any of these exactly guys they're, off they're of, work, other than you know the scouting tape that they've got yeah, from them going into the draft they're working off previous bodies of work whether that's in previous preseasons or college and so there there hasn't been a lot of transactions where people have been claimed off of waivers when they've been cut yeah um, this round i think the Browns are one of the few teams that have picked up a, a handful of players, and we'll we'll yeah. get to them in a second. What about uh, you? Did you have any surprises, like looking at the roster as we pared it down to the fifty-three? The initial surprise was keeping five tight ends. That has since been been rectified with the release of Pharaoh Brown. Um, I I always thought that we were going to have four for sure, and I believed that Njoku was going to be one of them. Yep. Um, and so I, I like where that tight end room ended up. Um, Due to the current roster rules, only carrying two quarterbacks makes sense. There's a couple teams that are currently carrying three, which makes no sense to keep everybody updated. This year, you can have 55 people active um, during the week, and that means you can call up two practice squad players. Is that a new roster. CBA rule, or is that a COVID rule? Is that like a one-time, like 2020? I think it's a one-time 2020 COVID rule. Okay. Um, but, it, I mean... Once you start doing it, it can be, yeah, it can be incorporated into into future things. So, um, we did not keep around um, any quarterbacks other than Mayfield and Keenum. Uh, Garrett Gilbert was re-signed to the practice squad. Could be called up every single week as the third quarterback if you want to. You could also call up somebody else. Like going into this first week, if Greedy Williams, Kevin Johnson, and MJ Stewart are not able to go. We're only going to have three cornerbacks that are healthy. I would imagine a guy like A.J. Green, who's sitting on the practice squad, will be one of those two players that's activated yeah. so that we have depth at that position. Makes it sense. gives you more flexibility, which is great. Um, and to Ernest Johnson winning the third, third running back spot, I mean, he's, he's a guy who's been around for, for this is his second or third season second with the Browns, offseason. Um, lost out to, to Hilliard last year. Um, came back, beat him out for the roster spot this year. As a player that I like as the third running back, I don't know that 
I don't know that he's ever going to get a ton of carries, but does a good job on special teams, offers um, something on offense when he's when he's called upon. Um, I feel good. He's a feel-good story, you know? I felt like Hilliard, I, I, the way I look at this, I don't think either one of these guys is ever going to make much of a difference to the Browns, Hilliard or Ernest Johnson. But I felt like Hilliard had his share of chances and never really he did had anything. chance last year. And yeah. never really, like, did a ton with it. And so I'm kind of happy that they're, like, turning the page and – Given Dernish Johnson his shot. For sure. And Hilliard turned around and re-signed with the Browns to the practice squad as well. Yep. So he is he is not out of the mix. Um, notable cuts. Chad Thomas, everybody's favorite defensive end, was cut um, in favor of – we initially only kept four defensive ends on our roster. It was obviously Miles Garrett. We kept Olivier Vernon. Kept Adrian Claiborne, who we signed in the offseason. And then Porter Gustin won the fourth defensive end spot. We have since gone out and picked up defensive end Joe Jackson from the Cowboys organization. Um, He's a 2019 draft pick out of the University of Miami. What do you know about Joe Jackson? Do you know anything about Joe Jackson? He's he's not Chad Thomas, even though they both – Similar body types, both played at University of Miami. I mean, I only know what Twitter has told me since we've signed Joe Jackson, and that is a few headlines. Um, PFF grades seem pretty good. Seems like a solid player to give a chance. Give a chance to. I'm not looking at much. I I, I still expect that Port Augustine is going to get the fourth defensive end like rush reps, and that you know we might see a little bit of Joe at, Jackson at every least once early in, a while, but, in the season. You would imagine. Yeah. And so I, I I don't know what to expect. I'm not going to get too excited, but it seems like a player like in the same vein as Port Augustine. Seems like he's fairly athletic, and you know he, we'll see what he can do. If one of those two becomes a like reliable rotational defensive end, that's going to be a good situation for the Browns. No, for sure. And I like this pickup because of where Joe Jackson came from. I like picking up guys who who lose their spot just based on numbers. Cowboys have a bunch of really good, notable defensive ends now. Signed Alden Smith in the offseason. They have Lawrence there is their kind of staple. Um, Randy Gregory is now back and been reinstated. They've got one other guy who he's slipping my mind now. That position is loaded for the Cowboys. Yep. And so the fact that Joe Jackson was the, the odd man out and missed out doesn't mean he can't play. It just means that there's only so many numbers. And so the fact that we're able to offer him a spot on the active roster, I'm sure the Cowboys would have loved to have him on the practice squad. Yep. So I love this pick, picking from another team's position of strength, picking up some some back end of the roster guys. Additionally, uh, which is funny, you know, do you remember last year at this time we picked up the defensive end from the Vikings um, with the crazy name? Yeah. And he's crushing vikings camp like he might start well he's not going to start now that they signed or that they traded for yannick and gakwe but he was like in line to start as the other defensive end and like but those type of players like that's what you want like they had like a wealth at defensive end last year the vikings the browns took a chance of the guy and numbers ended up we didn't end up holding on to him for very long but those guys pop a lot of times, like once they get enough time to season and be in camps and, you know, get the reps. So we'll see. 
And it's going to be an interesting situation. I mean, these guys coming in this late in the game, as always, but then also with COVID restrictions and you've, you've got a, you've got a, there's a waiting period now where you've got to pass a COVID test and there's, you can't just walk straight into the building if you're, if you haven't been a part of this organization. So I think with Joe Jackson, Vincent Taylor, who we'll talk about, who I don't know much about, he's a defensive end that we picked up from the tackle. Cut, defensive tackle, sorry, that got cut by the Dolphins. And then our newest trade addition, Ronnie Harrison, I think it's going to take these guys a little while to get up to speed. Yep. Um, as much as we would like them to come in, especially Ronnie Harrison, and play impactful football over the first couple weeks, I don't know that that's realistic. And so it'll be interesting yeah. to see how we work those guys in and bring them up to speed. Yeah, no, I agree. And before we turn the page on the defensive end conversation, I mean, for if you look at Porter Gustin and Joe Jackson, like these guys are walking into a pretty interesting situation. I mean, you've got Adrian Claiborne, who is going to play a role on this team, but he has—he doesn't have like a long future for the Cleveland Browns. He's on a two-year deal. He's on a two-year deal. We might, you know, play him out this season if we like what he's got. Bring him back next year, but he might be a one and done based on the structure of the deal. Like we could move on from him easily if we wanted to. And right now, we know for a fact that Olivier Vernon is done after this year, almost assuredly, because Miles Garrett's payday is coming up, and the amount of money we're going to like assign to that position is probably difficult to stomach for the foreseeable future. Yeah, unless Vernon's going to sign a below-market-rate deal to stay in town. I mean, I think gonna they're going to want to secure some pass rush, somebody else there, but it's a nice opportunity for a Port Augustine and a Joe Jackson to show that they can provide some value and like earn some reps in the rotation going forward. Like there's a yes. lot of opportunity like opening up post 2020 in particular. Yeah, they might not see the field much this season. Yeah, but if they take make the most of the reps, they can like spell those guys a little bit more as the season goes mm-hmm. on and then set themselves up for a pretty decent role in 2021. A guy who's going to be in that rotation who we recently picked up from the Dolphins in a very interesting situation which we just learned more about is Curtis Weaver. Yep. Fifth round pick of the Dolphins in 2020. Was cut by the Dolphins. The Browns picked him up. He's the all-time sack leader in the Mountain West Conference out of Boise State. Um, Was thought to be a top 100 player in the draft. Ended up slipping to the fifth round. Had this injury that is still lingering now that affected his draft stock most likely. Especially during COVID so, because so it was th- harder. No, but I think he injured himself in camp. He didn't have an injury coming coming into the, the draft. I think he did have an injury during draft, and it hurt him. I, it might not be the same injury. I might not be correct okay. about that. He might have an additional a sec, you know, or you know, a complication from the you know the injury. But I think that was one of the knocks on him during the draft process is that teams didn't have a good good medicals. Sure. Which is difficult in the because I think Curtis Weaver situation. I'm gonna. I don't want to speak out of turn. I want to see if he went to. I want to see if he went to the combine or not. Something tells me that for, he was like a weird combine um, snub. But Curtis Weaver will have that opportunity. He's since been put on the IR, so he's not playing this season. But he's going to be in that mix of young defensive ends who have an opportunity when that position opens up opposite Miles Garrett because it's most likely not going to be a position where the Browns are going to be willing to go out and spend significant amount of assets to 
to solve. Yeah, I was wrong. He was at the he was at the combine. Um, but anyways, so let's talk about that Curtis Weaver situation real quick. We we ended up just we we called our friend Pete Smith because we were talking back and forth, getting prepped for the pod, and couldn't quite wrap our minds around what all the mechanisms that were working in place that required the Dolphins to subject Curtis Weaver to waivers to get him to the IR. A spent, he had to go through waivers to get to the IR because he was a rookie, which is what I had understood. But then in the same day or the same couple days, Grant Delpit goes down with an injury and the Browns just shift him to the IR with, yep. without having to be subjected to waivers. Yeah, and so we were like talking to that. We're like, who could we call that might understand this better? So we just gave Pete Smith a call and talked to him. We probably should have just recorded it, to be honest. Uh, but we did not do that. And I had heard this and saw this explained, but he, he articulated it pretty well. Evidently, in the new CBA, when you draft a player... And correct me if you understand this differently mm-hmm. than, than me, but when you draft a player, um, if it is not a long-term or serious injury, you cannot just send him to IR. If it's, a more, if it's an injury that is more short-term in nature, you, have to, it, you can't just move him straight to IR. And so this is – I think we actually saw the Browns do this with Drew Forbes last year. The Browns like created a roster spot by putting Drew Forbes on IR for the whole season, and no one knew for sure how serious Drew Forbes' injury was, but they knew, everyone knew, that he wasn't likely to contribute on the field, and so it made sense. Oh, he's on IR. Who cares? Yeah. Like he'll get to be in the building and be in meetings and like you know whatever. That's gonna be no problem. I think the players that was one of the things that they wanted to get out of the CBA, and so in this current CBA. You're no longer able to just put a rookie that you is just this, drafted is this a, straight to IR. Is this a new CBA thing? Because yes. I, is it? Yes. Okay. I know that for a fact. Okay. Um, and so, and basically, he's got this injury. The Dolphins, in order to move him to IR, would have had to keep him on one of the 53 spots before moving him to IR. And so they decided to waive him, hoping to be able to clear him past waivers and then put him on their IR list. But the Browns pounced and. By claiming him, any of those rights as like a first-year rookie where you're not able to put somebody on IR completely gets waived. Like it's a yeah. different story now that he's in the Browns building. So the Browns are then able to put him onto IR as we understand it. Which is just so crazy and convoluted. And there's got to be more to this story. Like for the – like obviously it's a unique situation where you've got a really productive player who slipped in the draft – so the Dolphins are kind of thinking about their investment in this guy, and it's a fifth-round pick. So you're not a guarantee to make the team by any means. Um, we see fifth-round picks get cut with certain amount of frequency. So bizarre. And who makes the determination whether something is a short-term injury or a long-term injury is still beyond me. But good for the Browns. Good for Andrew Barry. Good for being creative, being on top of it, being willing to pounce. I mean, it certainly helps to have a, a higher waiver priority. Yeah, no, I love it. But, he might not ever play a snap for the Cleveland Browns, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. There's a decent chance that he never plays a snap for he the He could Browns. not make the team next year. But we really aren't losing much at all by claiming the guy in a position that has question marks outside of Miles Garrett into the future. So why not put another guy into the mix that has phenomenal production 
at the college level. Like, let's bring him in the building and put him on the practice field and see what he's going to do. And he's going to get a really great shot at getting a rotational role in next on next year's team. It's great. I'm I'm thrilled. Well, what's great is he's got a year. He's got a year to figure out the mental aspect of this Cleveland Browns defense while he while he gets healthy. He has a chance to work on his body. He's a little bit of a Pillsbury doughboy kind of a kind of a defensive end right now. Probably has a little maturity to to attain in his in his body, and then he'll have a shot at yeah. it. I'm excited about the the young defensive end prospects that we have because it's a very uncertain position outside of Miles Garrett going forward. But we've got we've got a number of lottery tickets that could become more clear. Yep. And it's not something that we're going to immediately have to address either with a big free agent signing or high draft pick. Yep. I was getting some anxiety about some of these players that are either in their last year of their deals or we had just signed this year to one-year deals. And the fact that like we're going to have a lot of holes at the end of this next season. You know, players expiring in these one-year deals coming up. And defensive end is one of those spots. And I think that's a priority position. I would not – if the Browns do well this year – and are in position to contend next year. I think we'll be in the market for the Jadavian Clownies and like those type of players to be opposite of Miles Garrett. I think that they will have those conversations. But you want to have people behind there. You don't want to be like you, you don't want to be married. About. You don't want to have to make a move in the offseason to yeah. shore up a position. Yeah, and another position that I was like really concerned about thinking into the future is safety, and that kind of brings us to the Ronnie this Ronnie Harrison trade that we made. You know, we traded a fifth-round pick to the Jacksonville Jaguars to get Ronnie Harrison, who's played two seasons in the NFL. This is the fifth-round pick we got for Austin Corbett. Yes. From the Rams. So it's a fifth-round pick. We already had two fifth-round picks, so we're giving up one of the two that we had for Ronnie Harrison, who's played two years, which means that he has two years left on his rookie deal. So he costs his salary-wise, cap-wise, costs us next to nothing. So all we're really giving up – effectively for Ronnie Harrison is the draft capital. Yeah. Cause he's on a, a darn near minimum salary. Like Next you're going to have a guy on the roster that makes, round least rookie that. Yeah. makes nothing um, in NFL terms. And a guy that still has two years left at the, at that rate and has been a average to slightly above average safety in the NFL so far. He's been graded out really well, especially for a young player. He's been productive. I don't know. Obviously, Jacksonville's tanking. Obviously. Like, I, I get it. I don't know why they're shipping players like Ronnie Harrison out of town. Draft picks? While you're also I, I, I signing players like Joe Schobert to, to long-term yeah. extension. Like, it makes, it makes no sense to me. It's like they've position, transitioned. By all accounts, Ronnie Harrison's a great guy. Like I, I haven't seen any character concerns. Yeah, I haven't seen for any him. Of that either. Yeah, I, I agree. I, nobody's saying he was bad in the locker room, and that's why Jacksonville's trying to get rid of him. Yeah, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And you would have to imagine there's other teams out there who would be willing to give up a fifth round pick for Ronnie Harrison. So I'm just pleased that he's here to fill this role. I mean, we had talked about maybe needing to to bring in another safety. And people were talking about Earl Thomas when he got cut. And, like, that was, yeah, would be great, but terrified me at the same yeah. time. Now you bring in a young player like Ronnie Harrison. We go into next season where we've got guys like um, 
Andrew Sandejo and Carl, Carl Joseph, Joseph. who yep. are on one-year deals coming off. We don't necessarily have to re-sign those guys if, right, if we right don't now, need to. Under contract next season, we already have Sheldrick Redwine, Grant Delpit, and Ronnie Harrison. Like that's a good baseline. I feel like it's a solid yeah. baseline at safety, You're g- and you can add one guy if you like one of Sendejo or uh, Carl Joseph that you want to bring around, or bring somebody else in. Like that's okay, but you've got y- young, solid, young, players. cheap, cost-controlled players that you're going to feel pretty good about at that point. Yep. With Ronnie Harrison, I haven't seen a ton of Jaguars football, so like I'm looking at PFF grades and that sort of thing to get a sense of like how good he actually has been since he's been in the NFL. But I did text Jens, who listeners that have been around for a while, he actually did appear. This is one of my good friends. He's German, big Jaguars fan, was on our podcast during year one when we had a matchup against the Jags and asked Jens for his take on Ronnie Harrison. He said he's undisciplined, solid against tight ends and in the passing game, probably too slow to play deep safety, real good all around the line of scrimmage, not exactly the best in zone coverage. So that's their that's your that's your quick scouting report on uh, Ronnie Harrison um, from a Jags fan who is dealing with shipping him out of town. I didn't bother to like press on the Bruce and like ask you know like why the heck did you get rid of Ronnie? I just kind of wanted the the raw take. Yeah, and I I I don't know what to expect from Ronnie Harrison, but Ronnie Harrison started a year and a half in this league, is well regarded as being a capable NFL safety. He's cost controlled going forward. We don't need Pro Bowl level play from Ronnie Harrison. We need just competent NFL yep. caliber play this season and we'll be great. And then yep. we'll be able to roll them over to next year and we'll we'll see how that, that mix comes together. Yep. So I love to be able to fill a position of need this late in the season, fill for an injury for a future fifth round pick where we had multiple already. Home mm-hmm. run. Oh. Fantastic. And, that, and that's been a consensus opinion amongst NFL people. I mean, getting Ronnie Harrison for a fifth-round pick at this point to, oh. to fill a need on the Cleveland Browns. It was really refreshing to be on this side of this type of deal. And then Ronnie Harrison coming out and saying, so glad to be in Cleveland with an organization that's looking to win and <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Like, when have the Browns been the organization that's like... Got it together. That's got ambition and <laughs> is like looking to do something. So true. So it's amazing. But then you look at our roster, like this seems like it would be a pretty freaking fun team to be on. You'd think so. You'd think so. It has been refreshing for me to see like the interviews and stuff of like all the players and everybody. Like just talking about like how professional everything's been since Stefanski's been in in the building. It's like so interesting seeing like Baker talk like we know what we got to do, and we're we're getting it done. And it's like no nonsense. Like we're no we're we're here to accomplish something, and we're like making it happen. Like I love like the the tone change is so palpable from last season to this season. And I I don't know that it's going to translate to like you know better performance on the field, but I 
know that something needed to change from like how unstructured we were last year. But and it, it has seems to. like we're on the right I mean, track. It has to it has to translate to the field. And maybe it doesn't translate in the win column, but like there were times last season where we just were just lost. Couldn't do anything. And I mean, we were talking about this before the pot. Like, if you look at Baker's numbers or the Browns' offensive numbers in the in the first drive when plays are scripted, we're we're really good. Oh yeah. Like near the top of the league, good in efficiency numbers, production. The rest were terrible. There there was no there was no plan. Like coaching was clearly the limiting factor there. I can't imagine what playing for Freddie Kitchens in the midst of a pandemic would be like <laughs> where like systems and processes are having to evolve on the fly. I can't like, imagine being Todd Munkin. I'm surprised there weren't more stories about Todd Munkin just like losing his Well there mind. there there's gotta be those floating out there that have just been on background. But I'm I could not be more thrilled with the Andrew Barry, Kevin Stefanski thus far. I wish we had preseason games to be able to see kind of some of the the system coming together um, yeah. and also see some of these undrafted free agents. Because there's guys on our practice squad who are going to be good players for the Cleveland Browns who, who may have had a chance to make this 53-man roster but didn't get the reps, but showed enough in practice to deserve a practice squad spot. So it'll be possible. interesting to see how that like works its way up in future years through the roster. One final thing about Andrew Barry. Did you see the article about the alleged sign and trade oh, for Jadavian yeah. Clown? I don't think we need to park here, but this is like an amazing attempt. And it's classic Andrew Barry de Podesta. Yeah. Um, so good. So for those that haven't seen it, basically, you know, Javian Clowney was going down to the wire. The Saints were incredibly interested, but they are in salary cap hell, like the, the deepest ring of hell that you could be in for salary. Like they are, they've been kicking the can down the road for years. They are in a tough salary cap, but want to win it. Now might be drew Brees's last year. Wanted Jadavian Clowney in new Orleans. So we're trying to do everything possible to keep him from coming to Tennessee. And we're, it was kind of between those two. Um, the main difference is, is that the Titans, I guess could pay more money than the saints. So the saints were trying to think of ways in which they could make it work to bring Clowney in. And so Evidently, a third team came in. Most people think it, assume it was the Browns, and it seems like there's lots of reports that it was the Browns. And the the <laughs> there was also so many reports about the Browns being a team that might sound sign Clowney. Sure, and sure. so that kind of marries itself. Like maybe the Browns weren't yeah. actually interested in bringing him in. And so this is like an NBA style trade it's like a possibility trade. that like came into play where the Browns could sign Clowney for the money that he wants. So let's just say, for intents and purposes, like $15 million, I think is the number that was thrown around. $5 million being a signing $5 bonus. $5 million being a signing bonus. So the Browns pay the $5 million in cash out like on the front end and then immediately ship him to New Orleans where they then only owe him the $10 million that's remaining on the rest of the deal throughout the season. And the Browns, in return, would get a second-round pick and – some player that was not named, but a player who would, coming who back. Who would that player have been? Do they have they have linebackers, right? I, I have no idea. 
I mean, is it a throwaway player? Like just to, like, have player, a just play, to like, like have somebody in the in there. Make it not sketchy. I think it was something about like creating cap space. Like they yeah. needed the to create the cap space too in order to so like, have make to the be whole a, thing work. have to be a player that doesn't have dead money. Anyways, yeah. yeah. So I, super interesting. Love that the Browns are like thinking those ways, like completely outside the box. Really wish the NFL had okay. The whole reason it didn't happen is just because the NFL wasn't going to okay the the whole transaction, and with the on, trade and everything. On a theory that you can't buy draft picks for cash, and the five million dollars that we were paying Jadavian Clowney, and to then flip him to the New Orleans Saints for a second round pick, would be the equivalent of paying five million dollars for a second round pick. Yep. I want to know if. Mickey Loomis, the GM of the Saints, came up with this idea and called the Browns because they had the cap space and maybe the right. like the outside of the box thinking. Or if the Browns called the Saints and were like, "Hey, I've got a deal for you." I've got an idea. Like you never know. Yep. Uh, but but I love the idea. I love just constantly trying to push the boundary of of what you can do to create value. Yep. I also given that that $5 million to Jadavian Clowney is actual cash that goes out the door, I would love to hear what that phone call is like between Paul D. Podesta and Jimmy Haslam or whoever he has to call to be like, hey, what do you think about actually spending $5 million real dollars for a second-round draft pick next year? I don't know. I feel like he will do whatever it takes. I don't know. I I don't. I, I think that um, Andrew Barry can kind of do no wrong at the moment. Yeah, at the moment. And I is, think he's got is a, a second round leash. draft pick worth five million dollars? I mean, we talked about this. This is not dissimilar to the Brock Osweiler deal, no. where we took Brock Osweiler and a second round pick. We paid the, like fifteen million dollars. It was sixteen million dollars. Yeah. Granted, we were a freaking terrible football team that year. We're always going to be a terrible football team, and had just ridiculous amounts of cap space available. Um, I, d- I don't know. I would be very interested to pick Paul D. Podesta's brain on his valuation of draft picks and what the monetary value of a draft pick is. That, um, that pick turned into Nick Chubb. That pick did turn into Nick Chubb, which is anecdotal evidence that it's worth, worth a good bit of money. Yeah. But that's enough with the roster. Browns have actual football to play. Yep. Browns kick off a season Sunday, September 12th against the Baltimore Ravens. In six days. Six, six days. Six days. Like real meaningful football game. Can't it, wait. It blows my mind that we are six days away from this. Four days away, three days away, whatever, from kickoff on Thursday night. Kansas City, Houston. But we'll talk about that a little later. How do we think about... The Browns, the Ravens were the best team in the AFC last year, 14-2. and two. Just rolled people, with few exceptions. Yep. One of their two losses was to the Cleveland Browns, where we, we've talked about that game over and over again on this podcast. A lot of things went the Browns' way, but we beat them by a lot. That mm-hmm. game wasn't really close. It was a weird game. It was a very Everything odd game. Everything happened right for us in that game we got some like timely turnovers Lamar looked like unlike he did in any almost any other game last season 
we we played them pretty well the second time around. Yeah. Ended up getting beat that time. How do we feel going into this? Do the Browns have Lamar Jackson kryptonite? Do we obviously we have a new coaching staff, so we're we're mixing it up here. Going into week one of the NFL season with no preseason games, does that favor the offense or the defense? Like how do we what should our expectations be for week one against maybe the best team in the AFC? I keep wavering and going back and forth. The thing that keeps sticking out of my mind is the continuity and the like no preseason and how much that's going to hurt the Browns versus the Ravens that basically have the exact same roster as last year and the exact same coaching staff. And I think in week one, that matters a ton. I think as the course of the season goes on, like it's going to matter much less. But for this very particular game, I think it's going to matter a ton and it's going to make it particularly difficult for the Browns to challenge the Ravens in this game. I just think they have such a leg up as far as like continuity and familiarity. And, you know, think about how much easier it is to game plan and like put a plan in place to execute like in that locker room versus what the Browns have going right now. I mean, it's just, it's hardly, it's hard to compare the two situations in, in my opinion. No, that's fair. And I've been thinking about this too. I don't, The typical thinking is that when you get into training camp, the defense is always ahead of the offense because, because offense doesn't have their timing down, doesn't have, have all that together. And I, and I do think that's true, but there's been a lot of people projecting that forward to the first regular season game, which I don't know if that's true. They've, they've been practicing now for, for what has it been, six weeks, four weeks, some, something like that. Yeah, a number of weeks they have not played live action preseason games. They have scrimmaged against each other. They've done an endless number of walkthroughs. I wonder if the Ravens are coming back. We pretty much know what to expect from the Ravens' offense, and therefore mm-hmm. the Browns' defense can prepare for it. Their roster is largely the same. They're they're going to be running the same scheme. I mean, they're not going to go to an Arizona Cardinals like five wide, like spread offense with Lamar Jackson. I wonder if the offense doesn't, the Browns offense doesn't have an advantage because we can scheme something up new that the Ravens defense doesn't have a chance, has no insight into. It's going to be, it's going to be brand new, brand new players in a brand new scheme. They can go back and look at the Vikings offense from last year and project what Stefanski might bring, but it's a new staff. There's a, if we come out with something creative, something that's new that they haven't seen, the Ravens have nothing to prep where that's not true for the Browns. Yeah. I mean, and that could be I, a point of advantage. I mean, we were looking at the Ravens roster too, and I think that they might look a little bit different than they have in years past. You know, last year we saw a lot of them in 13 personnel, which means one running back, three tight ends. They'd roll out there and they'd have Mark Andrews, Hayden Hurst, and Nick Boyle all on the field at the same time. And they saw a lot of success from that because you don't know if they're going to run and they're going to stay in line and block, or you know, and you've got to trust, you know, you've got to commit to yep. Lamar Jackson and that's a real threat. And if he's, you know, if it's a play action and he's throwing, it just creates all kinds of problems for the defense. Um, they're fifty-three right now. They only have two tight ends. And now they have a couple on the practice squad, and we've already talked yeah. about how they could bring somebody else up. 
but like they do not have the established tight end room to run 13 personnel. Most most teams don't have three tight ends that you want to roll out on the field. And even the two tight ends the Ravens have on their roster, it's Mark Andrews who is a purely is a pass catcher. Great. Yeah. And Nick Boyle who I mean, he can catch a pass, but he's mostly a blocking tight end. Yep. Like that's what he's he's his bread and butter has been in the NFL. Yep. So rolling out in 13 personnel with Mark Andrews, Nick Boyle, the, the the blocker, and then whatever practice squad guy you pull up does not have the same kind of gravitas as throwing Hayden Hurst out there as well. Which means if they don't have that personnel, that they are going to rely on this receiving group, which is Marquise Brown. Or could they have two running backs? Could they put Mark Ingram and J.K. Oh. Dobbins in there? Play like... Or you know, Justice Hill or Gus Edwards, like... 21 personnel or something like that? Two, yeah. Two, it's definitely they could, possible. They could do 22 personnel and just yeah. get real wild. Um, it's definitely possible. I mean, I just think that it's going to have a different flavor, most likely... I mean, just looking at the way they've got it set up, the tight ends were so crucial to how they ran their offense last year. And I hope, selfishly, it's less of the running back situation and more of the leaning on wide receivers. Because I don't feel that great about their wide receiver group. I think that um, Mark Marquise Brown is a phenomenally talented player. And if he stays healthy, I think he's a really solid, like, deep threat, really solid player but he doesn't scare me like i don't feel like that guy's gonna take over a game ever necessarily i feel like you can contain marquise brown like i'm not that worried about marquise yeah. brown particularly when we have denzel ward like he, I'm he not, might he might get you for one yeah and there's you, gonna be, you gotta worry about getting yeah, got there's gonna be some like big plays here and there that are gonna happen but like i'm not worried about him like dominating a game um, and then it's pretty much all question marks. I mean, uh, Willie Sneed, who Browns fans know, I mean, he's a solid, like, veteran player. And you got Miles Boykin. And Se- then second year player from Notre Dame, right? Yeah. And then they've got a couple of rookies, you know, Devin Duvernay and um, James Prochet, who, like, are going to be completely unproven. So, like, this is not a wide receiver group to be scared of, in my opinion. And. Not only that, but if Lamar Jackson has to like push the ball downfield and like throw outside the numbers more and like be more precise in his passing, that's like, a win. That's, that's a win for all of the Ravens' opponents. That is the that exact game. situation that I want if I'm the Browns. And so I, I, I'm interested to see how it plays out. We'll we'll see. Um, I I still think they're a team that needs to get in like really positive game scripts. And if you jump on the Ravens. Like, that's the way to beat them. Well, and we've talked about their offense. Their their defense has seen a lot of changes this offseason as well. They traded for Calais Campbell from the Jaguars, who is a phenomenal player. He's like 33 or 34 now I at this point, guy. right? He's r- so good. The defense 3-4 defensive end is what he's lining up for them. Great pass rusher. He's getting old. They signed him to like a three-year deal. He's going to be there for a while. They brought over Derek Wolf, formerly from the Broncos. Uh, really solid player if he can stay healthy. Um, good pass rush from the interior. Um, that defensive line is very, very good at this point. 
Their corners are very, very good at this point. with Jimmy Smith, Marcus Peters, um, and Marlon Humphreys. The rest of their defense is unproven. They're, they're outside backers. Matthew Judon is really good. Pernell McPhee has kind of bounced around and came back to the Ravens. Tyus Bowser. Yeah. Tim Williams. Is Tim Williams still no, there? He's not no, there anymore. Who, who's the other guy that they've got coming from the outside? I don't remember. Somebody else. They don't have anybody else. Is Anthony Jennings there? Or is he gone now, too? Um, their middle linebackers are starting Patrick Queen, rookie out of LSU, and LJ Fort, who the Browns know. Used to was on the Browns for an offseason, uh, maybe one season, then played a few years with the Pittsburgh Steelers. No, he started. I don't know why I remember this so distinctly. He started for the Browns the on Brandon Whedon's first game, week one, when Brandon Whedon got caught underneath the American flag. <laughs> <laughs> I remember like what sports bar I was watching that game at and like come. watching LJ Fort in that game. Anyways. Their safeties are I mean they they famously cut Earl Thomas this offseason. Um, who knows what the all the backstory there was. Obviously got in a fight with a teammate and was was not the easiest guy to be around. Um, but they're rolling out Chuck Clark, who's been a decent player in the league but hasn't lit the world on fire and some some guy named Elliot. I the I, what I'm saying the defense. is like the middle of their defense is from suspect. the second level on is very suspect. Yep. No. Un, unproven players or players who who are not to the caliber that the rest of their defense is. That's I mean, a very soft middle of the field. I mean, I said it just a couple minutes ago, but the recipe to win is to jump ahead of the Ravens and make them have to force things. I don't see the Ravens as a team that is built to like come back quickly or easily. Well, and that's why that's why I love maybe the Browns matchup. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna be trying to run. That's gonna pressure the the Ravens linebackers. We're gonna try to work the seams to the tight end. We're gonna do screens to the running backs. We're gonna put all this pressure on the weakest points of the Ravens defense. I mean, looking at the Ravens offense and the threat that they provide, which is like centered around Lamar Jackson. Yeah. More than anything. Versus the threat that the Browns provide, which is like every skill position player. It's like, it's so interesting, like looking at the the difference between those like two things. Like preparing for the potential of the Browns defense, to your point, that like they don't know exactly what it's going to look like. The talent on the field is phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, they got to worry about it's Odell un- Beckham. They got to worry about Jarvis. They got to yeah. worry about all these tight ends. They got to worry about Nick Chubb. How much is Kareem Hunt going to play? Are they going to play them both at the same time? Are they going to play three tight ends? Are they going to, like, what kind of personnel packages are they even going to roll out there? Like, it is a lot to prepare for on a, uh, for week one. Like, it, it could definitely work in the Browns' favor. We'll see. And unfortunately, we have nothing to go off of. Like, no, no like it's all we, conjecture. We haven't even seen uh, a drive in the preseason with the first team offense moving down the field. So we have nothing to go off of. Yeah. Although I do have so much more trust in Kevin Stefanski right now in putting together a cohesive offensive game plan that will last more than the first 15 plays. Mm. All right. So it'll be interesting. I can't wait for it.
I, I s- still can't believe that it's Sunday. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't think I'm going to believe it until they kick the ball off. So, shall we, we do move our to our, our picks? Yeah. I know we weren't prepared for this until we, we sat down to prep for this pod. Hey. And then we realized we needed to make picks this week. That's all right. So, uh, as a refresher, every year, every season we've done this so far. So, um, Matthew actually won this contest last year. But what we do each week Hey-oh. is we take the primetime games. We normally record on a Monday night, so we don't include Monday night. But we do Thursday night football game. We do the Sunday night game. And we pick the Browns game. So, kind of some of the best games of the week that everybody's watching, paying attention to. We pick relative to the lines we keep the score throughout the season and it's just kind of bragging rights between us so the first game of the nfl season on thursday night is houston heading to kansas city minus nine mark's not here but we went ahead and texted him matthew have you already made your picks on these games do you have them in your head i have them they're written on my paper okay i don't want to tell marks with and influence your decision but if you already got it written down i've got them so Mark is taking the Kansas City Chiefs to cover the nine points that they are favored by at the moment. I will tell you that I am also taking the Chiefs to cover the nine points, although I think this very easily could be a good game. I love Deshaun Watson. Um, I just don't like betting against that Chiefs offense, to be to be perfectly honest. So I'm going Kansas City um, to cover the, the nine points. Matthew? Whew. I'm taking Houston. All right. I like I who knows what's gonna happen in the very first game. Like, this week one is scary. Uh, Kansas City could win by like fifty. Yep. Like, you know, and I wouldn't be that shocked. Um I like Sean Watson. We'll see what that offense looks like. It's, he's finally got an offensive line that's kind of more cohesive than it's been. I don't love the Houston defense, but nine points is a lot even for the defending Super Bowl champions and the great offense that the Kansas City Chiefs have. So, I'm I'm going Houston. I, okay. I think Houston's going to cover. I mean, it's a lot of points. So it's like a it's not a points. bad pick. Um. All right. I'm going to go right back to you. The Sunday night game is the Dallas Cowboys heading to LA to play the Rams. The Cowboys are favored by three in this game. Which side of that line do you prefer? Well, this is interesting. Would this be a pick 'em if there were fans in the stands? Like the the Rams, the Rams are playing at home. I don't I don't know how that's all working. Um, I do think there's this like thought that the Rams were somehow a bad team last year, and I'm, I'm pretty sure they were nine and seven. Oh, they were okay. They yeah. were good. Like they were really good two years ago. They were good last year. I think the Rams are still a really good team. They've made some really interesting salary cap moves and signing Todd Gurley and Brandon Cooks and trading them away and eating a bunch of cap space. But that's still a good offense. I I don't really think it matters all that much who you throw in at running back. They're going to be productive. If that offensive line can hold up, the Rams are going to – Sean McVay is going to figure out a way how to score points. Aaron Donald's still the best player in the league. They've got Aaron – or Ramsey on the outside. I – I just think the Rams are a lot better than people are talking about them being. And Dallas is kind of that hot team right now that everybody's saying is, is going to win the NFC East and go into the Super Bowl. And we got to see it with Mike McCarthy. So, so you're, I'm going Rams. You're picking the Rams. 
picking the Rams. I'm picking the Rams for a different reason, although you just touched on it. In week one, I'm picking the continuity and the like coaching staff that's been there for a while over the coaching staff that is like completely brand new and like rolling in to their first game. With the off season and everything as uncertain as it's been, like plus Mike McCarthy doesn't incite a whole lot of confidence for me in the first place. And so I'm I'm basically this is a Sean McVay over Mike McCarthy pick, in my opinion. Like, that's what it kind of came down to when I decided to think about it. Now, I like that Dallas Cowboys offense and what it's going to be. Like, and I fully suspect them to be a contender in the NFC. So don't get me wrong. Like, I really like the Cowboys. But I think week one's a tough spot to be playing a, a Rams team that does have a ton of talent and more continuity and structure on the coaching and, like, team side of things. Anyways. For sure. What a head-to-head Mike McCarthy, Sean McVay, what competition would it have to be for you to pick Mike McCarthy? Hmm. Like beer chugging or something like that. <laughs> it had to be like an eating competition. Yeah. Some sort of consuming something. Um, Sumo? Yeah, like wrestling competition i i have no idea i yeah I, beer chugging is my is the is the answer that makes the most sense to me but mark picked the cowboys in this particular game so um there we go which brings us to the browns game we just talked about it a couple of things that we're thinking about heading into the game obviously lots of question marks with the off season and how everything is going um but this Browns team plays the Ravens well, and we saw it two times last year. I We'll see if it continues this year, but it's a pretty big line. The Ravens are playing at home. They will not have any fans in the stands. Um, we looked that up before we started recording. They are, will not have any fans in the stands. So you have to think you know that favors the Browns in some small way, um, that their home field advantage is minimized. And so... The Ravens are favored by eight points. Mark is picking the Ravens to cover those eight points. Coward. I am not think I I am not optimistic that we're going to win this game, but I do think it's going to be a competitive game. Maybe I just hope it's going to be a competitive game, but I'm I'm picking the Browns to to cover the eight points um, for sure and. Oh, man. Think about how great it's going to be if we actually win. Oh, my gosh. What a, what a start to the season if we win against the Ravens. I'm pretty sure the last time we won our first game of the season was 2005. Jeff Garcia against the Baltimore Ravens, which is really terrible if you think about it. Um, so don't think about it for too long. But I'm not confident in anything this first week. So like We tied a few years ago against the Steelers. Yeah, we did. We did. That was great to end Josh our losing Gordon. streak. Josh Gordon caught that like crazy pass um, in that game along the sideline and caught the pylon for a touchdown. I think to tie it. Oh my gosh. I'm just not confident in anything. I'm not confident that the Ravens are certainly going to be like the, the same unstoppable force. Um, I think eight points is a lot. There's no home field advantage. Like would, would this have been 11? Like in a, no, uh, or would so, it have been? Or yeah, or, or should it be five? Or should it be five? I yeah. don't know. Um, 
I think the Browns are going to come out and be competitive. I think that this game is, as is all of these in this first week, are just kind of toss-ups. Like, we, we have nothing to go on. Even last season isn't super relevant into the discussion of what this is going to be. So I'm going to take the Browns to cover that spread. Like, eight points. All right. Browns have shown that they can play against this Ravens team. And Browns have shown in the last couple of years, even when we were losing games all the time, we were competitive. Like, we we're fighting in to the end of most of them. So, yep. I mean, this, this line has actually moved a little bit. I think it opened, and I don't know when it opened, probably a while ago. It opened at nine points in the Ravens' favor, and it's moved down to eight. So, um, people are believing in the Browns. We'll see. Go Browns. I'm, I'm believing in the Browns. We only have a few days left to find out how it's going to play out. Man, it's going to be good. Can't wait. Enjoy it, everybody. Thanks for – that'll be it for this week. We're going to come back to you. Uh, we'll come back to you early next week after the first week of the NFL season. Uh, we appreciate you listening. If you have a chance, go rate and review the podcast. Um, give us only five stars, of course. If not, just – do something else find us on social media at sin of our fathers you can email us at sin of our fathers at gmail.com we love to hear from you um as always thanks for listening go browns go browns Mm